You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to City Church. My name is Anna, and I'm one of the leaders here. Um, I just wanted to give everybody a warm welcome. Um, the bathrooms are in the auditorium up the stairs and to the left or the right, I think. I haven't been there in a while. <laughs> um, and then I think there's also bathrooms around the corner um, that way. Um, I also wanted to, we always pray for all the kids here at City Church and at Lafayette Elementary. Um, I wanted to say thank you, um, God, for having these beautiful children with us today. Let us learn from their love and their kindness, their honesty and their playfulness. We pray for all the children here at City Church Long Beach, the kids at the elementary school, that they may be, um, that your light may shine upon them. And amen. Thank you. You can grab a seat. Welcome also to our friends on Zoom. We appreciate you guys being here. What a fun day, man. And uh, Jose on the Cajon, man, how fun was that, right? Man, so good. So uh, my name is Bill White and I am one of the co-pastors here. Uh, you'll, there's a noticeable absence of our other co-pastor Brenna Rubio. Uh, Brenna Rubio is preaching uh, with our pastoral resident, Dottie Olson, at another church this morning, a friend's church uh, up in Los Angeles called New City. And if you live in Los Angeles, that's a great church to go to uh, that might be closer to you. Uh, not that we don't like you here, but just trying to let you know that there are options, right? Uh, but anyway, so that's where Brenna is today. And we're in a sermon series, and I kind of got the... Uh, I kind of got the short stick. You know what I'm saying? Um, it was just one of those one of those draws where you're like, because we, we're doing this sermon series called Complicated Jesus, because real relationships are, are messy. And and so we we pulled the congregation, we, we took some some notes from you guys about like, hey, what are your favorite Jesus stories and your least favorite Jesus stories? Right? So I got stuck not just one of the least favorite Jesus stories, but the, but the most least favorite Jesus story. And like my personal least favorite Jesus story. Um, and it's full of like violence and anger and judgment and all the things that we just love, right? I don't, I don't know how I got stuck with this, but I did. Um, and so... You know, the rest of the sermon, so there are a couple of folks who are new here today, like, hey, we're, we're not always going to rain down fire and brimstone from heaven on you. Um, you know, a lot of the other passages are, that we're looking at are, are, are a little bit kinder and gentler. But today, this is what we're looking at. And I thought, of, uh, I, I thought I'd introduce this with this idea from uh, a text message that I got uh, a few weeks ago. And let's see if I can, where's that, here it is. Um, that I wanted, I wanted to read to you guys. This, this has to do with how we interpret what authority figures say to us. 
right? And, and this is sort of a deep theological insight shared with me by one of, one of the leaders who's actually present today. So all the people in this story shall remain unnamed, but they are present. Um, so I get this text late on like a Thursday night from the husband uh, and the wife uh, is, is the subject of this. So uh, he writes, he says, so as is the case every night, Susie, as I'll call her, and I are trying to put down our little one to bed and he keeps coming out of his room. After two or three times Susie, of Susie putting him back in the room, I try. I lay him back down, I give him a little tuck in, and then we have this back and forth. I say, hey, little guy, you need to stay in bed. Didn't mom give you the blessing already? Little guy says, yes. Oh, great, what did mom say? She said, if I get out of bed, I get a spanking. <laughs> That's so awesome, right? I actually know this family and they have this blessing thing they do with their kids every night, right? I love you, God loves you, right? But, but what do we hear? And maybe what was said, question mark, right? I mean, this is what's going on here uh, in this passage today and it's uh, super tricky. So I've invited Jessica Shirley to come and read this awful passage. Uh, if you would welcome Jessica up, clap for her courage. Um, and we stand in honor of God and God's word. So if you'd like to stand, it's a longer passage. So kind of get comfortable on your feet. And if you need to sit down because you're kind of bored or whatever, you're not, you're not going to get bored. If, if you're mad, you can walk out, I guess. But anyway, go ahead and have at it. Should be live. There you go. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. People of God, this is the word of God. Ooh, you may be seated. Um, okay. So here we are with this, uh, this passage, right? And uh, so the traditional interpretation, which I'm guessing a lot of us have heard, uh, those of us who were like church camp kids or VBS or whatever it was, uh, is this idea that God is easily offended. 
Don't mess with God. When God tells you to come, you better come. Otherwise, he'll take you out. Right? This wrecked the sleep of a lot of small children for a lot of years, right? And it goes on, and there's a sense, when you look at some of the more, more traditional interpretation, that it's very clear there, there are outsiders and there are insiders. As it turns out, we get to be the insiders. And everybody on the outside who didn't show up to church today, we get to watch God crush their lives. And then we have to be real careful on the inside to make sure you do everything right. You dress properly for church, please. Otherwise, you'll get thrown into hell. And you'll be an outsider. I mean, that's a bit facetious, right? But there is a sense in which, I mean, that's actually... I mean, I did a bunch of reading on this. That's really more or less how it's interpreted. A little extra joking, but more or less. And I want us to think about that. Any time you have a story where you come out as a hero, and hold on, let me just pause for a second. You'll notice we have some small children over here. Uh, if, you're not on, if you're on Zoom, you probably can't see them, but they are having a lot of fun and they will be yelling and screaming the entire service, and this is how we like it. So there are other churches where the kids don't scream. You're more than welcome to go there if you'd like. Our church, the kids scream. It's just what's gonna happen. So we like it that way. So just, we think that's normal. Uh, but any, any interpretation where you really come out as the hero, you, you gotta start asking some questions about that. Because Jesus is challenging people. This is a challenging message. And if you've been pushed to the margins, Jesus is always pulling those folks to the center. He's not pushing them further out. So when we come to this passage, I want us to, to wrestle. I want, I want you to do what, what I've been doing this week, which is just struggling. I want to, I'm read a quote from, this is one of our heroes of the faith. Her name is Wilda Gaffney. She's a womanist theologian and Old Testament scholar. She's amazing. And this is what she says. She says, I don't run from a fight or a hard text or a fight with a hard text. I believe in wrestling the bruising words until I squeeze a blessing out of them no matter how down and dirty it gets or how out of joint I get. So we wrestle, we think. What I would like, to, I'm gonna propose a number of ideas during this sermon. I'm not asking you to agree with any or all of them. I'm inviting you to go on your own journey. And in particular, there are really two things for you to wrestle with. One is, how do you deal with the Bible when the Bible gets messy? And second is, Hey, what's God saying to me about how I love, who I include, how I treat people? Those are the big questions for today. And I would like to suggest that there's a particular way to read the Bible when it comes to passages like this and any other passages. It's what uh, the scholar Jonathan Walton says. He calls it the lens of love. As you look through the scriptures, you realize God is love. That's actually in the Bible, right? 
The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself as love. That's the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. That's a quote. It's not Oprah, right? The great commandments are about love, God, love others. God is loving to all. This, this is who God, and so we come to the text with a certain lens. What if it's the lens of love? Not the lens of judgment or the lens of kicking out the bad people or judging our enemies. Building off of uh, what James Cone, the liberation theologian, uh, wrote about, about how everyone has a perspective when they come to the text. Uh, one of, another one of our heroes of the faith here, her name is Rachel Held Evans. And this is what she wrote. And this helps us think about how do we come to the Bible? So for those who count the Bible as sacred, she writes, interpretation is not a matter of whether to pick and choose, but how to pick and choose. We're all selective. We all wrestle with how to interpret and apply the Bible to our lives. We all go to the text looking for something, and we all have a tendency to find it. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, are we reading with the prejudice of love, with Christ as our model, or are we reading with the prejudices of judgment and power, self-interest and greed? Are we seeking to enslave or liberate, to burden or set free? How do you come to the text? What are you looking for? What lens are you looking through to get there? So I wanna suggest a couple ways to look at this particular passage. Again, you get to decide. This is your Bible too. It's mine, it's yours, it's ours. Number one, I'd like to suggest a reading where Jesus is preaching this as he's weeping. He's just, this whole message from chapter 21, 22, and 23 in the book of Matthew, I think of it as the weeping sermon as Jesus is just so brokenhearted. And the next chapter, he's talking about, man, woe to you, city, and woe to you, city. I can't believe you guys missed God. Do you know what's going to happen? Like, you're just going to feel lonely and isolated and just crushed, which is a different approach than Jesus saying, woe to you, and you, and you, right? It's, it's a different approach. Jesus, through tears, desperate for people to receive an invitation to feast, right? That's the, what the parable is about, right? It's about this king who has a wedding and it's for his son and there's all this food. It talks about all this food, lots and lots of food. And Jesus is just weeping like, oh, you're going to miss out. It's just going to be like you're crushed. It's going to be like you're, you've been burned to the ground. It's so terrible. Like, you don't know how much God loves you. And he's, and he's weeping. And there's even a, uh, some kind of people who do some work on this text say that, that there's some historical precedent for the fact that at a royal wedding, when you came in, you were given a robe to wear, right? I mean, in the, in the parable, right, the, the king sends the servants to the, to the streets. I mean, they're bringing in folks who don't have homes. How are they going to get wedding clothes? 
And so at the end of the parable, when, when, the, when the king confronts that one person and says, hey, why aren't you wearing the clothes I gave you? Again, it's a sense of like, I, I'm giving, I'm always giving. And do you know what it's like not to have that? Ah, oh, you're just going to miss out so much. So you can sit with that. You can wrestle with it. But uh, I have a, just so you know, they're excited over here, the kids are, which is fantastic. This is fantastic. They're playing with a ball. You guys, some of you kind of thought you aged out of kids' ministry, but if you want to go over there now, there's going to, we'll let you go, right? I mean, like trampolines and balls, and I don't know what they're doing. Stuff. It's fun. Um, so with this idea of Jesus weeping, because people are missing out on God's love, there actually is a little bit of muscle in the text that suggests that. Because in this same chapter, just a few verses down, Jesus is like, hey, let me remind you what's most important. Love God. Love people. Love is at the center. What, do you think he just forgot that or something? Like Jesus all of a sudden just forgot that it's all about love? Oh, no, I don't think so. I think that's what he's after, and he's desperate for us to know our belovedness. Now, let me, uh, let me think with you about another way to look at this text. And you do with it what you will. Some folks like Richard Rohr will, will take this approach, which I really appreciate. When you look at passages like this, look at the context. Who is Jesus speaking to and how is he speaking? What kind of language is Jesus using? About six times in this message, it's, it's basically a sermon. It's like a three-chapter sermon. He talks about he's speaking to the religious leaders, to the religious folks, to people like me. And in a little while, we're going to have our board come up. People, board members, this is... <laughs> Jesus is talking to us, all right? First-time visitors, Jesus is not talking to you, all right? Those who've been kicked out of church because of your sexual orientation, Jesus is not speaking to you here, okay? He's talking to me. And he's using a kind of language because he realizes that people like me we think in clear, simple, like cut and dry, left or right, one or two. You only, it's, it's, it's all these binaries, either good or bad, right? They're, they're just two types of people. And Jesus is, he's saying, okay, all right. I understand how you think. Let me use your language. It's not my language. Jesus is super, like, non-dualistic, like, non, like, split it apart and, and either this or that. I mean, he's, I mean, he's talking about, like, love your enemies, just not that far before this passage in the Bible, right? Like, hey, embrace yours and those who aren't yours. Erase the lines. Wipe those out. You see with who he spends time with and how he loves so well. Jesus is not a binary thinker. It's either this or this. But he knows who he's talking to. He's like, all right, I'll throw down. 
I'll throw down with you. And I'll make it so ugly that you'll know, like, all right, you think God's like that? God's not only going to kick you out of the wedding, he's going to hunt you down and kill you and burn your city to the ground. Right? I mean, there's that sense, okay? Now, again, this is, I offer this to you. This is one of the things I've been wrestling with this week. I'm not saying this is it. But what if Jesus is trying to speak their language? And there's some of us here who, that's how we think. It's good or it's bad. I got to tell my kids, no, 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 or that's okay. Right? It's, it's always yes or no. There's never any listening and processing and being present. This is Jesus who, he can't help but listen to people. Spends a lot of time with kids. Lays his hands on them and blesses them. But here, because he knows who he's talking to, people like me, religious elites, people who are very neat and clean, he throws down. I like the, uh, I don't know, it, it makes me happy when I see it. I've seen it a few times, this bumper sticker that says, who would Jesus bomb? I mean, like, who would Jesus bomb? Is that really Jesus who's bombing out this, these people here? Like, is that, who would Jesus bomb? I don't think that's what he's about. But he understands who he's speaking to. And, and the evidence is in the passage as well. Because the religious leaders after this, they are like, okay, all right. You're going to power up on us? We're going to power up on you. And they, do, they decide they're going to go out and kill him after that. All right, we'll play the power game. And some of them, you see a couple of them in the Bible, are like, oh, maybe, huh, maybe I, maybe I do do that. Is that really what God is like? That, hold on. And you see, in fact, at, at Jesus' death, one of these religious leaders has, he shifted. His mindset has changed. And I wonder, huh? Maybe he heard... Jesus speaking in his own language. Now I want to think about a third way to approach this passage. And again, I am, to some degree, I'm uncomfortable with all of these. Right? And I want you to be also, right? I'm really uncomfortable with the traditional interpretation. I think that's cray-cray. But think about this. There's a another uh, Bible scholar who uses this phrase that the Bible is what you get when God lets the people tell the story. And so here's Matthew. Matthew, one of the followers of Jesus, is writing down these stories. He's remembering back to what Jesus said. This story also shows up in the Gospel of Luke, who tells it pretty differently. Not a lot of butchering in Luke. Luke is sort of the kinder, gentler, like let people come in from the margins type gospel. Matthew is like, I'm going to take on the religious people the whole, all the way through. That's Matthew's approach. So, so think about this. Matthew is, is writing, and there's something that is huge that has just happened in history. 
I mean, it, it, it's changed the entire world. It was, it was literally like the atomic bomb dropping for, for that culture in that day. And it was the destruction of the holy city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Romans came, they literally tore it down. They, they hooked mules up to the walls and they pulled, the, all, they pulled every stone apart. And when you see people praying at the, uh, at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, right, those massive rocks, those were literally underground in that day and age, and so that's why they didn't pull those down. I mean, they totally demolished the city. And so Matthew here is trying to figure out, he, he has that story that Luke told, and he's like, you know what? I think it's the fault of those people. And so he writes that in. He writes it in such a way. He's so angry that, that the city that he loved, that was so important to him, that was so important to every Jewish person, Matthew was Jewish, that that city got destroyed? And he wants to blame somebody. And it's these religious leaders and some, some other folks from you know, the Roman Empire that he wants to lay the blame right at their feet because he is very upset. And now walk with me here. What if, as we think about the Bible in this light, we think, what, why would God give us such a Bible? And in, and in this light, God gave us the very Bible that we needed. Because what we're supposed to do with it is we're supposed to do this hard work, this wrestling. We're supposed to figure out. We're supposed to see like, oh, oh, I see. I see where Matthew's coming from. Of course he would write it in that way. Of course that, that's how God wanted us because God wanted us to see this is what we do. When we're upset, we use God against other people. We leverage our religion against them to make them the outsiders, them the bad people, so we can feel a little bit better about ourselves because there's so much loss and uncertainty in our life. We want to blame someone. And God is saying, do you see what Matthew did? I suspect you do this also. And there's an invitation for us to look at ourselves. So those are three different approaches to this passage. There's some wrestling to be done. A lot of the rest of the Bible is not this traumatic, triggering, but some of it is. And anyone who's opened it, you know. So how are we gonna look at it? How are we gonna do this? What lens are we going to bring to the scriptures? I'd like to invite up a friend of mine, Donna Berklin. Donna Berklin, welcome, Donna. Donna is our church planter in residence. She is planting a church in Orange County, California, and she's awesome. Um, and she, Donna, did a little bit of work, not necessarily on this passage, but on the whole idea of looking through different lenses to, 
how do, how, what do you do with the, the Bible? So you've had some, a number of conversations with friends and spiritual leaders around this very, the stuff that we're like wrestling with and, and how do you look at the Bible? How have those gone? Well, there are some conversations that I can't have actually because I find that we can't find common ground that we have different lenses. So sometimes we uh, get into kind of a roadblock where it's like, oh, do you believe the Bible's true? And it's like, wait, <laughs> it's kind of loaded. <laughs> what they really mean is, do I believe that their lens of the Bible is true? And so that's where our roadblock is. We wanna, I want to have hard, like more difficult, complex conversations, but I can't continue on until we realize that we both have different lenses. Because they're just saying true. Uh, mine is true. Right, right, right. Yeah. And they don't see it that way because... We've been, you know, a lot of us, not all of us here, have been taught that this specific view or lens, usually it's a white, cis, straight, able-bodied lens, male, um, is the correct interpretation. So, yeah. Um, so you wrote a letter which you graciously shared with uh, me and Brenda Rubio, which we appreciate. Um, it was a remarkable piece. Thank you. Um, that you shared with one of your friends slash spiritual leaders um, about why you were not going to engage them or maybe, I don't know, how, would you share a little bit about the setting and then just maybe read the, 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 the few pieces from that? Yeah, yeah. So the context for this let letter is uh, I was having a conversation with actually uh, a spiritual leader who is also a man, who's also white, who's also supposedly straight, and <laughs> Supposedly. Uh, <laughs> and I love the laugh. They get it. Okay. Um, and I was having this conversation and we were talking about the Bible. We were even talking about my qualifications as a pastor, uh, as a woman, as a pastor. And uh, we kind of got to a roadblock and it was very hard for us to continue because that question, do you believe the Bible is true, kept coming up in this conversation. So we just couldn't go beyond that. And so I actually responded to that with kind of a boundary, like, okay, we can't have this conversation anymore because we can't agree, agree that we have a lens. Because there's another conversation we need to have first. Exactly. There's another conversation we have to have about lenses. And so that's the context for this excerpt of my letter, and I'll go ahead and read it for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so I wrote back to my buddy. Um, for most of your questions, namely the one you stress that I respond to, I reject, I reject the framing of your question. I see your question along with the desired answer to have many foundational presuppositions about biblical interpretation baked into it, and I disagree with most of those presuppositions. I think you have made some core assumptions about the right way to read scripture, the right way to be a pastor, and the right way to think about spiritual authority. In my opinion, I find many of these assumptions to be historically recent culturally relevant, and in some cases, I believe they strip the scripture of its power, beauty, and truth. In other words, I think you have a very specific lens you use to interpret scripture, and I don't share that lens. That being said, I am okay with you having a different lens than me. I didn't put this in there, but I would have said, as long as it doesn't cause harm. However, I want to be clear that the reason I am not answering your questions directly is that I reject how they are framed. And I see that the only way to engage with them is to first engage in a conversation about your interpretive lens, my interpretive lens, and how they interact. Boom, right? 
I mean, if if you want it, let me know. I'll get I'll get you uh, I'll get you those those three paragraphs. That was something. That was something. Thank you. And and if you in a sentence, if you could summarize your interpretive lens, I don't know if you can do that. I would say right now I'm just trying to unlearn my lens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Today uh, we're unlearning. Real quick, I am currently reading, for example, a book on ableism called it's actually disability theology. So I, it's called My Body Is Not Your Prayer Request. <laughs> wow. And yeah. Okay. All and so right. I'm learning about how ableistic I am, how I have yeah. an able ableism is embedded into my lens of scripture. And so I'm trying to unlearn that right now. So it's a season of unlearning. Um, Donna Berkland, thank you. Thank you for being who you are and sharing with us. Uh, I want to close with, a, with just a, a final quote. And it's, uh, it's by this guy, Gene Robinson, uh, who some of you may know. He's an Episcopal bishop. He's actually the first bishop in any American church who's openly gay, right? The, the first. And he had a lot of people just sort of criticizing him for how he talked about Jesus and some of the ways that we talked about Jesus this morning. And so I want to close with this. He said, you can preach a judgmental and vengeful and angry God and nobody will mind. But you start preaching a God that is too accepting, too loving, too forgiving, too merciful, too kind, and you're in trouble. Let that be the God that we preach. I'd like to invite